welcome to Camp Radio, a podcast of TN Baptist Camps, the official camps and conference centers of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. Join us as we sit down with church leaders to discuss relevant trends and issues for today's church. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's dive into a new episode of Camp Radio. Thank you for joining us on Camp Radio. My name is Kevin Peerage and I'll be your host. As you know, many disasters happen around the country and around the world, and uh, we are fortunate to have a disaster relief uh, ministry within the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board that reaches so many people and meets the needs of people around the world, especially around our country. Uh, we have with us J- um, Wes Jones. He is actually the uh, disaster relief specialist for the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board, and uh, Wes, thank you for taking a few minutes and talking about disaster relief. So uh, once you t- first begin, just tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm Wes Jones. I've been with Tennessee Baptist Mission Board for almost seven and a half years now. Um, came here from Iowa, where I was a director of missions, but actually started in disaster relief a number of years before that when I was with the International Mission Board. And while overseas, we experienced some disasters in Central America where I lived, and so had opportunities to respond there, also working with teams that came in to, to some of those disasters, like after Hurricane Mitch and stuff like that, and work with them. So had a heart for it while I was there, although that was not my main task. And then when I went to Iowa to be the director of missions there, we began a disaster relief unit. The men and the, the men basically in the association said, we want something to do. Yeah. We like working with our hands. And so we created a unit there and got heavily involved in disaster and started responding. <clears throat> I think for a small uh, convention like Iowa, mm-hmm. we did a lot of responses. We did 20-some oh, wow. odd responses in the time that I was there, the yeah. years I was there. So it was good. It allowed men to minister and to be involved and stuff like that. But yeah. it's not just about men either. Sure. So then um, I was re- heavily involved there and heavily involved at the national level. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, they were doing incident command teams that went into a disaster and op- ran the operation. Yeah. If the state invited us in to do that, we would do that. So I was heavily involved. And then came to, to here to Tennessee to serve as a disaster relief specialist for Tennessee. And I had like one month of peace and quiet <laughs> where I could learn the job and figure out how things work here in Tennessee. Yeah. And then it's been almost nonstop since then for the next seven years plus. Right, right. Well, tell me about your family. Well, I have a wife, Miss Pam, and I have two daughters, Brooke and Jennifer, and I have eight grandkids. And wow. they're a blast when I get to see them. Don't get to see them much because... Six of them are in Nebraska area, yeah. and two of them are up in Louisville area. Yeah. So I get to see them a little more than the other yeah, ones. So, yeah. of course, you're uh, traveling a lot. Yeah, travel yeah. quite a bit. Yeah, wherever yeah. God calls us and to go. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I have uh, uh, a, a great heart for disaster relief teams. I know uh, I lived in uh, Alabama for uh, ten years on the coast and and mm-hmm. uh, near Mobile. And it's funny that through hurricanes. Uh, those 10 years I was there that we had, I don't remember, three or four hurricanes. And, and on the news, it never failed after a hurricane, there was something about Tennessee Baptist uh, disaster relief that was on the ground at whatever location it was. Mm-hmm. So I was always proud because since I'm originally from here, East Tennessee, I was proud that, that Tennessee was responding to those things, uh, especially any kind of uh, disaster around the country. Uh, I, I know that uh, you know, we we have 3,000 Tennessee Baptist churches in our state, 
And so you have, I don't know if you know numbers, what, what kind of numbers of people that actually participate in disaster relief? Well, it's interesting because when I got here, I had 15,000 volunteers on the wow. rolls. Wow. Which I thought, wow, that's a lot. Until yeah. it came time for the first call out. And I put the call out out and it was almost like crickets. And finally, there were enough people responded and stuff. Like part of it was getting used to me and the way I do call outs and mm-hmm. inviting everybody to go. But then what I found out was during Katrina, mm-hmm. a lot of people got excited. Everybody wants to help. Right. And they got trained and then they never did anything. Yeah. And so they never responded. And so now we probably have about 2,500 that are active on the rolls that are in, have their credentials <laughs> up and things like that. So right. about 2,500 volunteers around the state. Well, there's a lot in the disaster relief. And and, and, and I, w- I like for you to just tell us because, you know, there's, there's pastors who are listening to this that may or may not have anyone in their church that's actively involved. And chances are they may not. And so there's a lot. You just don't say, hey, call up one day. Hey, I want to go help with a disaster, some disaster someplace. There's a lot more to that. There's certifications. There's lots of things. So if somebody, for example, say they want to be involved in disaster relief, what's the first thing they do? Well, we prefer anyway that they get trained. And so we offer training in all three, each of the grand regions of Tennessee once a year at least. But then also a lot of the different associations will offer training there. That's the best because when we go into an area, we don't want to damage and do any further damage. And so we want people to be trained and know what they're doing when they go in and are trying to remove trees or remove mm-hmm. flooded debris from a house and things like that and get a house stripped down so they can spray it down and stuff. And so that's what we encourage. But we've also opened the door for others to go with us, mm-hmm. people that don't have training. But you need to go along with a trained group mm-hmm. because we want to keep our quality of work high so that we present not only just a the gospel as we talk to people and share Christ with them, but also do a, prof- a good job while we're there. We're not professionals, we're volunteers, right. but we want to do it the absolute best that we can to serve those people in a time of disaster and not make things worse for them. Right. Well, let me kind of back up because I guess I need to start with, so what is disaster relief? What's the purpose behind that? In a short form, it's to bring help, hope, and healing to those that are affected by disaster. Mm-hmm. We come in offering help. We'll cut trees. We'll make food. There's a myriad of things we do. We lost. We do laundry. We provide showers for people if, if their water systems are down and stuff like that. We cut trees. We mud out homes. Uh, we'll do anything we can to open the door because that's offering help. People right now in a disaster situation, most immediately thing they need is help. Mm-hmm. And then we do that so that it opens the door for us to offer them the hope. And that's really what we're about. We want to offer them as God opens the doors as we have a chance to minister to the people, help them and minister to them and begin to build a relationship with them. We look for opportunities to share the gospel with mm-hmm. them. And so we encourage all of our volunteers to, to be ready to be able to share when God opens that door. We don't force it on anybody. It's not a requirement for us to do the work, but we're also, we're always looking for those times when God brings a person into our path and opens the door to share into their heart. And so we do that so that we can see that person hopefully begin on, to begin to get on the road to healing in their own personal right. life. You know, picking up the pieces of their house, if that's what it is, but also emotionally and most importantly, spiritually. Mm -hmm. Because if we make that contact with them and they trust Christ as their Savior, that's an eternal healing. Right. That's not just fixing up your house. That's fixing up eternity. Right. So, and we say disasters. Mm -hmm. It's it's actually literally disasters. People who have... Now, not not that there's you don't help you only help people who've lost their homes completely. You no. help anyone who's been affected, but many of these areas are just devastated. Mm-hmm. They've lost everything, yeah. 
And so, for example, I'm thinking, of course, you know, we, we have tornadoes in, you know, in Tennessee and there's other states. Katrina is probably the most devastating, or I say Katrina, it's one of those hurricanes most devastating because it wipes your house completely away. You have absolutely, you don't even see pieces of it. And uh, to have someone come in when they don't have food and have the, the clothes on their back, uh, they have nothing, not even a car, nowhere to go. You come in with a feeding truck and feed thousands of meals mm-hmm. for however long it takes, right? That's true. So your commitment to a disaster could be could last how long? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> there is no time limit. It could last from a couple days to months and months. Yeah. And depending on whether, you know, sometimes we have the opportunity to go in and do rebuild afterwards and uh-huh. stuff like that. So then we'll stay there for a long time. You know, one of the stories out of Florida when Michael hit a few years back, uh, we had set up in Port St. Joe, Florida, mm-hmm. and we're working out of there, running the operation there for Florida Baptist there, but with our Tennessee folks. Mm-hmm. And one of the ladies came into the incident command, which is where they come in and ask for help and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And Miss Kay began talking uh, with, with her. And a lot of times what we do is just ask them, where were you during the, the event? In yeah. this case, it was the hurricane, and the, the tidal surge was the big thing that came in with Michael in that area. Mm-hmm. And this lady had literally been in her house, <clears throat> decided to leave her house as the tidal surge came, mm. got caught by the tidal surge, <clears throat> and actually hung on to a tree wow. until the water subsided. Wow. And so over time, this lady kept coming back into the office a time or two. And Ms. Kay says, you know, as, as bad as that was, God must have a special plan for you. Yeah. And over time, they built that relationship and yeah. got the chance to lead her to Christ. That's awesome. Through that situation. That's awesome. So when you have what, what you you you're saying call out. So what does that mean a call out? Well, when there's a disaster, if it's local, uh, within like a county or so like that, then I expect the, the, if there's a DR team in that county, I expect them to go and respond. Hmm. That's a response, a small response. Um, if they need help outside of that, if it's too big for that unit in that area to handle by itself or there is no unit, then we'll call in a unit to come and to help or the, however many units it takes. A unit is a, can be a chainsaw team. It can be a flood recovery team, just depending on what the situation is. Mm-hmm. And so we invite them to come in and, and participate. And if it's even bigger than that, like with the tornadoes a few years back now, throughout Nashville, on over into Cookville and stuff like that, you know, we'll call out people from all around. And if it gets big enough, a call out can mean going to a different state. Right. And one thing a lot of people don't realize with us, we don't go into a state, another state, mm-hmm. without being asked in by their disaster relief director in mm-hmm. that state. Because there's a lot to going into planning for when people come. And we don't want to be a burden on the people there when we get there. We want to take care of ourselves sure. and not just add, hey, I'm here take care of me, feed me Right. when the people need fed and they yeah. need to be taken care of. Well, and I I, I see those uh, emails as too. When you do a call out, I'll, I'll receive those. So what what's that next step? So so if I'm, I'm a part of the disaster relief team, I receive an email of call out a certain area. So I'm assuming that maybe that area, you may be part of an association that has a disaster relief. They will all gather and kind of be led what the next step is. is that yeah, your team leader, your, uh, sometimes it's called a team leader, sometimes it's called a unit director, or we call them blue caps just for mm-hmm. the, the sake because they wear the blue hat. Um, they'll gather together a group. They'll put out 
or that people can respond back to their leader because everybody's on a team of some type, or at least supposed to be anyway. Mm-hmm. And that team leader say, we're going to try to go on this day. Can you go? Mm-hmm. And if you can go, that's great. Um, but we've also opened up different so that if you can't go with your team, but you still want to go, your schedule doesn't work out because you have a job and you got to take time off and stuff like that, yeah. then we'll try to put you with another team that's going. And so we don't want to be, we're just a click team over here that always stays together by ourselves, but we're willing to work with other teams as well. So once that call goes out, when I put it out, if it's a, a large call out at least, it goes to everybody all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And as the teams can gather and fits into their schedule, they'll let me know and then we'll get them on the schedule to respond. Now, as far as having a call out, do you call specific groups out? Because not everybody's trained to do everything. And you may, not, all, may only need a certain right. group, and right? And they'll usually say that on the email. We're looking for chainsaw. We're looking for shower and laundry. You know, depending on what we need at that point, and those are the types of teams that we're looking for at that point in time. So, yeah, it's usually spelled out in that initial email that goes out. Yeah. Well, I know that there's uh, – I, I know a church that's uh, in Maryville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. They There's a group of ladies, and they got trained in the, uh, the uh, uh, feeding unit. Mm-hmm. And so – but they're all like 70 or 80 and stuff. But And, and they, they said, you know, we're not sure where we can serve. But the neat thing about it was is that they, since they had had already received some of that training, they came and volunteered at our place. Mm-hmm. And that way they continue to stay refreshed of how that all works. Now, you know, have they responded to some, a call? I'm not real sure. But, mm-hmm. but it was neat that they, they took what uh, this, this opportunity uh, being trained a certain thing and, and continue to do ministry even locally. Yeah, and that's a that's an emphasis that we have because a lot of times what happened in Katrina, people trained for Katrina, trained to go down there. They may or may not have gone during that time, but then they never used what they did again because there was not a big call out again until Sandy, a real big call out right. anyway. And so they just let it lapse. And so my challenge to teams now is to do something at least three times a year with your folks. Mm-hmm minister in your community use the gifts and the talents and the equipment that you have and go out and serve people Uh, like you're talking with the ladies that came i think during the summer where you Mm -hmm. needed some help and stuff just because you couldn't find staff at that particular time with all the stuff with covid and all that mess going on but then i know also don brings teams out Mm -hmm. once in a while he brings a chainsaw it's exercise for them they're practicing what they're learning yeah it helps them be better prepared when they go to the field and stuff like that so my encouragement is for the team leaders, those guys that are in charge of those teams, and ladies too, not just when I say guys, sorry, I'm yeah. spending too much time in the Midwest. <laughs> it means y'all yeah. uh, up here. And so to make the, get those people involved locally, we have a lot of folks that go around and build ramps. Sure. You know, I had one team one year that built like 30-some ramps. Oh, wow. You know, so that put 30-some handicapped people back into their houses. Yeah. And they did that in their off time. This team responds everywhere that I ask them to. Yeah. They're always ready to respond. But yet in the meantime, in the off times, they're busy doing stuff. And that's what I want them to do, whether it be at the camp, whether it be to somebody ministering in the church, perhaps an elderly person needs help in the yard, whatever it is. I don't care. Just use the talents that you have and use the abilities to keep in practice. That way you're ready for when the time comes and you're not just sitting around twiddling your thumbs waiting for the next big disaster right. to happen. Yeah. Well, I know we have Don's bringing another group at camp mm-hmm. and uh, next month and we always had trees that need to be cut down, so we just uh, we just flag them and and he they go out and practice on how to cut a tree down, and cut it up and do it safely and all the equipment and so so you know you don't go out and just go cut a tree. They tell no. you all the safety specifics 
They bring all the equipment, everything. So that way you're not just, you know, you're not just going to cut trees. Yep. There's learning and technique and all this, especially the safety side. And that's yeah. important when you're out on the field to be safe. Exactly. Yeah, especially if you're in a situation of a disaster, there's uh, obstacles, there's sharp sharp obstacles, nails, things that someone can get hurt, and, you, and everybody needs to be safe and not get injured trying to help other people. Yeah, that's sometimes when we do the training, you know, a person says, I've been cutting wood all my life, you know, I've never wore a pair of chaps, I've never worn a helmet, and I understand that. Right. But while you're with us, we want you to be as safe as possible. We want to provide a safe environment for you and the people that we serve. And so we do require that kind of stuff, which I know is hard for people. Mm -hmm. And I've been on a chainsaw crew. I ran a chainsaw crew. And yes, when it's 100 degrees outside, those chaps are really, really, really hot. Yeah. But yet, I also know what happens if you cut your leg with a saw that's running at whatever speed, those, how many feet per second those chains run at. It doesn't take long to go through right. your leg. Yeah. So you have all these different teams. So so what uh, kind of lay out the different type of teams? I know it has to do with your training. But what, just to kind of give people an idea of what they would do if they train a certain area, what, what's available out there that they can maybe be trained in? We do a lot of chainsaw, and that doesn't mean just men either. You know, and it doesn't mean you have to run a saw to be on a chainsaw team. People haul brush. Right. And so we need a lot of brush haulers because one good person with a saw can keep a whole lot of people hauling brush pretty quick. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of mud out, which is not a pretty job sometimes. Right. Those people that went up to Kentucky this year, it was pretty dirty work. But, man, it is needed and appreciated mm-hmm. by the people who because most people don't have flood insurance. Yeah. So that means they're not going to get any or very little help from the government. Right. And the insurance company's not going to pay for it to be professionally done. So we go in there and clean and, and do the best job we can to retard the mold and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, we do the feeding when there's opportunities to feed. And, and I'm hoping that will grow back up. It was big for a long, long time. That's pretty much what we were known for. It's died down in recent years. There's a lot more other groups out there doing feeding and things like that. But as, as Southern Baptist Disaster Relief as a whole between the conventions in this country, we're also trying to see how can we be there regardless of whether some of these other groups are there or not. Mm-hmm. So we're looking for providing resources for ourselves to be able to respond and not have to depend on another organization to provide the food. Right. Um, we do laundry. We do shower. where You're actually washing clothes for folks or providing a place for them to take a shower and keep them clean, giving them towels and stuff like that. Um, we have chaplains. I guess that's the big thing because mm-hmm. we always would like a chaplain going out with every group mm-hmm. just because some that person is focused and doesn't mean a preacher necessarily. could be a preacher, but it can also be a pray, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a lay person that just has a heart to serve people and heart to love on people. Right. And that person's job is specifically make sure the spiritual is happening. Mm-hmm. We're not ignoring it because sometimes, especially guys are guilty when they get on the ground, especially with chainsaws. Mm-hmm. I'm going to cut this saw. I'm going to cut this tree up. We got to hurry cut this tree up and get out of here and go to the next tree and yeah. cut the next tree. Yeah. We want to make sure that the spiritual is always taken care of. Yeah. And so there's an emphasis on that. But it's it's been, God's done some great things in the last few years. And basically, we try to be open to whatever he's doing. Mm-hmm. And so right now, we have a, a swift water rescue team hmm. that's wow. trained. Um, it's also, we're also partnering with North Carolina in that. They were <clears throat> practicing and preparing for that themselves. Yeah. And then there's some of our guys over here that has the equipment things. They'd actually been going down with um, another organization and mm-hmm. doing swift water type stuff. And they said, why can't we have it? And so we said, why can't we have it? Yeah. And so they have it now. Yeah. And so they went down to, to Ian this summer in Florida and waited to be deployed down there. Um, part of that 
that team there, that Swiftwater Rescue, also has a drone, hmm. which is pretty cool. That's a specialty thing. Yeah. Um, but they have an incredible drone, and they've been called not just for Swiftwater Rescue, but also Search and Rescue. Hmm. And they've had two opportunities in East Tennessee to go, got called by the county EMA because someone was lost in the woods. Hmm. And I know what it's like to be lost in the woods. It's not a good feeling. Yeah. And they found both of the people they were wow. looking for wow. successfully. Yeah, that's awesome. And so that, I mean, that's, that's, that's some cool God stuff that he does. Yeah. Well, and, and I know that, um, you know, when somebody's experiencing that, uh, just to have, and, and they may ask, you know, with any kind of disaster, it, it's not like the next day everything's cleaned up. No. One house may wait weeks mm-hmm. before the insurance will come out, before they get, you know, with, with, a, with a hurricane, since it's such a big area, you, you may wait weeks to be able to get, get uh, the, the, the county or, or the city will hire construction people to come and just get just limbs and stuff, and stuff, debris yeah. that's in the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. And let alone a, a tree that's on a house. Yeah. And then maybe somebody's still living there, but they don't know what to do. They can't find anybody to cut it. Yeah. And so uh, probably they ask the question, why are you doing this for us? Do you get that mm-hmm. question a lot? Yeah, why are you here? Yeah. Especially when we don't call, we don't charge anything. Yeah. You know, we, we tell our people, make no type of thing that even hints that you want money from a person because we don't do it for that. If we do that, we are no longer a volunteer organization. We're in it for the money. Uh, And so we're doing it for free, which surprises people. You know, the main thing we ask them to be able to do is can we pray for you and give you a Bible afterwards? Yeah. You know, and most people don't have a problem if you just did a few thousand dollars or worth of work in their place. (laughs) You know, and it gives us another opportunity to share and remind them why we were here. Yeah. So that's the biggest thing, especially when you're out of state. It's one thing to be in state and doing it. Uh But when you go to another state like Florida, uh, when I used to be in the Iowa, we would go to travel sometimes to Florida to work after the hurricanes. And you're from, well, usually they'd say Idaho instead of Iowa. But anyway, uh, <laughs> they'd say, you're from Iowa. What are you doing down here? And it's like, we're just here to help and, right. and share Christ with you. So huh. it's pretty cool. It opens up a lot of doors just, just having the shirt on and knowing who you are. Yeah. That it opens some cool doors of service and ministry. Well, tell me some, uh, you know, of course, I kind of ask you this right before we start to give you time to think about it, but tell me some uh, stories of just how God has worked and, and, and really impacted some lives throughout the years. Well, the, the biggest thing I've already given you two, um, one is with the drones, mm-hmm. because um, when, when I first got here, there was a lost child in West Tennessee, mm-hmm. and we were actually called, to, we didn't have the drone or anything like that at the point in time, it was it was really early on when I got here that first spring, I think, and a child was lost there. And we went there to feed the, the searchers that were in the woods. Yeah. And I remember going down there to where the operation was and people just crawling through the woods, mm. horseback, four wheelers, walking, just people all over the place. And then a number of years later, I took a course on search and rescue. Yeah. And he says, one thing you don't want to do is put a bunch of people in the woods because you can't put a tracker on it or anything like that because in everything. Yeah. And they actually had a helicopter there that night that had infrared on it. Hmm. But there's too many heat signals. Right. And the thing with our, our drone, you know, being able to go in there before people get in there. Right. Messing up, muddy the water, so to speak, and find the heat signatures, whether it's an animal or whether it's this person they're looking for, yeah. was kind of a cool thing. Um, like I say, the the lady who was rode the storm out, hmm. and um, one time down in Texas, a few years back, one team 
in one day had the opportunity to lead four people to Christ. Wow. Matter of fact, the incident commander down there, Ms. Kay, called me and said, at lunchtime I was in a meeting at um, the CSC and at the church services center, and she said, we had two people trust Christ today. Hmm. Like, that's cool, you know, yeah. that, that's great. And I, no, I was wrong, just down what I said. Later on, I called another person and said, did you hear they, got two, they saw two people accept Christ today? And Don said, no, I hear it's four. I said, what? Somebody must be pastorally speaking or something. You know, no, Kay told me it was two. So I called Kay back and said, she said, well, now it's five. Wow. And I'm, man, that'll put some joy in your heart oh, yeah. to have five people. And it said one person that they were talking to happened to be in, in, in Jehovah's Witness. Hmm. And they had talked with her and talked with her and, you know, asked her if she'd made a decision. No, she didn't want to make a decision. That's fine. And so we got ready to walk away. Well, tell me again. Yeah. And they'd been through this about three times with her where they'd tell the story and share the gospel with her and ready to leave it at that because, like I say, we don't force them. Right. And the neat thing about it, so the, I think it was the third time through, she said, yeah, I'm ready to do that. That's awesome. And so they ministered to her, and they went back to the church. And we had a deacon there at that church where we were staying at that was supporting our team and helping our team. Yeah. And he came out of the same background. Hmm. And so we were able to connect those two. So. It's great that they trust Christ, but man, we, we can connect them with a local church sure. so that they're discipled, that they're not just, okay, here, baby, we're gone now, see y'all later. Right. But we need to connect them. And that was just a great, God put that person with the same type of background yeah. to be able to minister to that lady and help her understand the decision that she makes coming out of that yeah. background. Wow, that's awesome. Well, now, disaster relief, at least on the state level, is not a small thing. No. Uh, you have... Uh, well, in, in Mount Juliet, which is almost in Nashville, you have this big warehouse that you have full of heavy equipment, small equipment, generators, just about anything you need. But that's just that's just one place, right? Yeah, most of our stuff is actually, far more of our stuff is owned by associations and churches. I mean, it's theirs. They control it. They operate it. You know, they determine when it goes out and when it doesn't go out. We have some equipment there. We have the feeding unit there um, that can can do up to 25,000 meals a day if it needs to. If it was all fully cranked and fully staffed, it yeah. takes a staff of about 40 people to put out that many meals a day. Wow. Um, we have some equipment to uh, lifts mm-hmm. to get up into trees and stuff like that to be able yeah. to cut limbs and stuff. But yeah, a lot of smaller stuff we have, too, that are that are needed. Uh, during different situations and stuff but yeah yeah. but we have god's given us a great facility there at the mmc and the cool thing about it is not we have offices and classroom space on one side and warehouse on the other but we also use it for church planting right so we have a church plant in there that's meeting in the warehouse part yeah now our warehouse is not heated nor is it air conditioned (laughs) and so the congregation that's in there you know, has to be willing to endure that because they're a larger congregation. We have a, a decent-sized room that could hold 75 people comfortably. Yeah. But this church right now is running about 175. Oh, wow. And so they're in the warehouse. Yeah. And so it's great to be able to use our facility not just for disaster and disaster responses and training, but also to help grow churches as yeah. well. Now, uh, so I'm sure the question people are thinking, how is all this funded? Hmm. Who takes care of the finances of this? Three things. Number one, your church is giving through the cooperative program. Mm-hmm. Bottom line, that, that does all the salary stuff on the salary side of the, the, the money that we have for myself, my secretary, and for our, my administrative assistant, and for um, an assistant director that we have now, Gary Maddox. And so that CP money takes care of our salaries and benefits that side. The other side, the day-to-day operations, 
which is running the MMC, which is keeping the equipment up and running and fixed and all that kind of stuff. That comes from your gifts to the GOT and the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. Mm-hmm. So our actual budget part of things actually comes from GOTM every year. Mm-hmm. However, that has nothing to do with response. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of money in there for local type response, <laughs> but not very much. So actually the most, most of our funds to actually provide for people on the field, provide supplies and stuff like that, comes from the faithfulness of Tennessee churches yeah. and their giving to different disaster responses and things like that. And let me tell you, in the seven and a half years I've been here, it has just amazed me. Yeah. I mean, I stand in awe of the churches in Tennessee mm. because of their giving spirit that they have. Not, not, not just for the money factor, but also for the volunteer factor. Because I know Tennessee is known as the volunteer state. Yeah. And they do. Yeah. And Tennessee is kind of in a unique place in that I believe it's bordered by nine different states. Mm-hmm. And so what we can, when any of these states call upon us, we can go in there and we've sent people yeah. into almost all these states around us for one thing or another to help out whatever situation they're going through. And so just to see that idea of Tennessee being a volunteer state mm-hmm. is a reality. It's not just a wording that we use to describe people in Tennessee. Right. It's something that they do. That's and, and like I say, the cool thing is the churches here are just unbelievable in providing. They've you know, whether it be something local, if they hear about it, you know, sometimes we don't, but people give just general to the DR, which all the money we get in from donations goes to response. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go to pay my salary, doesn't go to pay the day-to-day operations. It goes for the response side of things. And, and, and the response side doesn't mean that if a volunteer comes, it pays their way no, down there. They have to no. pay for their own gas down and if they if there's a hotel they have to pay for their own hotel yeah. it just pays for any supplies that that are given and needed if it means fuel for for chainsaws or generators you take care of that that's part of that but some the, of that yeah. some of that but for the most part the volunteers are all on their own yeah They're that's just, the thing all volunteers have to be willing to and able to pay their own way. Now, different groups do it different ways. Some churches have money set aside for their people that go. Some associations have funds set aside. Mm-hmm. I don't get involved with that. Right. But I don't pay them to go. Some organizations actually give people a stipend to go down and volunteer. Mm-hmm. I can't afford to do that. We would sure. have rather have the money go towards sure. those who've been affected by the disasters. And so, yeah, yes, they pay their own way as well. Plus, they pay for their own credentialing and stuff, too, yeah. every three years. Yeah. So, and, and then, of course, this is not just in the United States. You've no. been overseas, right? Yep. We have been overseas. Um, primarily been in the Caribbean since I've been here. Uh, we've responded three different times now into the Caribbean in mm-hmm. different storms. Cause they, and actually, with the new situation between NAM and IMB, which is called Send Relief, yeah. where there are two help organizations. The IMB used to be Baptist Global Response. And um, NAM has always had Send Relief as their mm-hmm. helping organization in there. Those two combine together to make Send Relief now. And so they've asked the states, which is Tennessee is one of those, mm-hmm. to adopt different areas of the world mm-hmm. to go into those specific areas, to build relationships in those areas, and to be able to be one of the first responders into those areas. Like for us, uh, we're part of the Caribbean right. as Tennesseans. Mm-hmm. And so we'll, if there's something in certain parts of the Caribbean, Hopefully, be with the first ones there that they ask to come in and help support them and yeah. provide the needs. Um, like Ukraine, 
um, this year, North Carolina is actually partnering, I think, with Ohio and Ukraine. Mm. And so they were kind of the, they're the tip of the spear. They're the ones that lead the way, mm. and we provide help. We didn't get to go to Ukraine like we thought because, frankly, the war's still going on. Right. And so we've provided, I think, five different shipments of supplies to the Ukraine. Yeah. Plus, we've provided monetary support to the Baptist um, seminary there in Ukraine, mm-hmm. plus a Romanian seminary that was also working with refugees coming out. And plus, we've helped fund some of the work that Send Relief is doing through their contacts there as well. So, right. And that's all done because people gave. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and, and I think the average uh, Tennessee Baptists do not realize all that's going on mm-hmm. in, when, in ministering and meeting the needs of people around the world and in our country because of their giving, right? Yeah, it's impacting exactly. so many people. Yeah. yeah. Well, Wes, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes and sharing about disaster relief. I, I hope that this has been very informational to everybody who's listening. And if you're listening right now, I hope that you'll share this with another pastor or a layman, someone who it does not know a whole lot about disaster relief, how they can get plugged in. So uh, last question. So how can, if somebody wanted to be, part of disaster relief who did they contact where, where they they go to find out more you can contact me personally or miss elizabeth at the office there it's 615-371-7926 or 7927 so 615-371-7926 or 27 uh, with the last digits um, email me at wjones at tnbaptist.org and you can get a hit on me or contact your own director of missions. Many of the directors of missions are tied in with us. They know what's going on or they can lead you at least or they can have you get a hold of me. So that's the easiest way. We have the website, which is TennesseeBaptistDisasterRelief.org. You can go there and find out about trainings and stuff like that as well. Awesome. Wes, thank you for spending some, a few minutes and just kind of helping us understand what all this means in disaster relief and how we can get plugged in. It means a lot. For those who are listening to us right now, uh, thank you for listening. And if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify or, or some other social media, I ask that you leave a comment or just follow us. That help others to listen to this great resource. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have any questions for Wes or what we do at TM Baptist Camps, please send us an email at ccinfo at tmbaptist.org. Until next time, I hope that you look for opportunities to start a conversation about Christ with someone you know. Thank you for listening to Camp Radio, a podcast of TN Baptist Camps. The ministries of Carson Springs and Linden Valley are supported through the cooperative program and gifts received through the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. For more information, visit tnbaptistcamps.org or you can email us at carsonpodcast at tnbaptist.org.